following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. (laughs) You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It's Thursday. We promised you a show. You know what you get? A show. A show. A show. All right. Yesterday was a good day. We uh, thought we had a great show. I got to talk about cats. Uh, a lot of people yeah, ask me did. about cats. I, uh, I never did. I guess we should follow up with the ultimate question, the one that really matters, and the one that I think really drills at the heart of the cat's experience. Did you have a good time? Yeah. I enjoyed mm, most of it. Would I, you say uh, you enjoyed... 70% of your experience. Yes, I would. Okay. I would. That's what I think is so great about Cats and why it's so enduring is that it is theater for the sake of theater. You're not supposed to necessarily know everything or grasp everything. You just experience the spectacle of this weird, far-off fantasy world and... You have that in your head for a couple hours, and then you just go about your life. And do do I feel like if uh, if there were a few of my cousins that would have gone, and they would have been on some sort of hallucinogens, that they would have uh, <laughs> probably enjoyed it more than me? Yes, yes, I do believe that because I do feel like I've, I missed out on. Well, no, the hallucinogens. That's that's the 2019 movie of Cats, with, which has Taylor Swift, and it's like it's also got like a bunch of weird animation stuff that goes on in it and it's not good it's not good but. i didn't even know they did that so no but it's i get it. i'm looking forward to river dance uh we do that but that, that got a lot of a lot of pub uh not just uh do you yesterday have tickets? around the office do you have tickets for river dance i, I bought the four series pack so I got, oh got river dance got uh chicago I want. I want to I did take. Not see I want to take of, my but, fiance uh, to Riverdance. Yeah, River, River, and, and then the only bad thing about that one, it's only one day. It's, it's only. It's the only one. that's not a two day. What do I have to do to get your two tickets to Riverdance? Uh, fight my wife, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I doubt she's giving that up. Does she have any brass knuckles? No, but as a city attorney, probably has a police force on. on the uh, call, so you know what? I'll think about know. it. I'll think about it. I don't know. I don't speaking know. of speaking of uh, of the law, yeah, uh, I had a fun little uh, um, situation at my house last night. Do well, hold on. Free say anything further. Do we need to put a disclaimer? Do you need your lawyer? What? What do we? No, where no. There were this? no. There were no flashing lights or sirens involved. Okay. There was one car horn for some reason. We'll okay. get to it. So. Yep. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm booting up my computer. I want to play some video games. Maybe do some sim racing. Fire up R Factor. Get a Renault Clio out or out and about on uh, Portland International Raceway. And I hear just a very sharp car horn in my driveway. I was like, it was right outside of the house, and I, I couldn't tell if it was like somebody was giving somebody the hurry up or what the deal was. But I peeked out the window. And there was a Toyota, I think it was like a Toyota, I'm not sure it was a Camry. It might have been like a Corolla. Do they still make the Corolla? It was a Toyota sitting in my driveway. And I just kind of look out there like, what's going on? I didn't order anything on DoorDash or anything. So I don't know what this is. I raised my window of my office 
And the person opens the door and she gets out and she says, uh, I'm looking for beep. I'm a court processor. And I was like, uh, they haven't lived here in four and a half months. It's like, do you have an address for them? No, I do not. Sorry. Okay, thank you. And she got back in her car and drove off. They were looking for the previous owner of my house. Um, who has not lived there since before October. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you checked for any like loose boards in the house or secret passages or anything? We did. We did check. There is, I mean, there is a crawl space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the home inspector went in there and didn't see anything untoward. So okay. didn't tell me like, Hey, there's a, there's a steel suitcase down here. What's this? Click, click. Oh, it's. $200,000 in non-sequential bills. No, there's nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, but yeah, I just hope it doesn't have anything to do with the house. Uh, it, it does appear, though, that uh, somebody is about to get a summons. and They're not going to be very happy about it because when are, when are you ever? But yeah, just a random court processor shows up at your house looking for somebody that doesn't live there. That's. Uh, Did you handle it well? I mean, I was just confused. I was like, "She doesn't live here. They don't. They don't. They don't live here. They haven't lived here since at least, you know, uh, blah, blah, way back, several months." And they had. A, they asked for a forwarding address, and I didn't have one, because uh, this is this is also true. They did not forward their mail. I was getting their mail for like two weeks after I moved in, and then got packages for them that were for their family members for Christmas. They had to come pick those up. So that was, it's been, it's been just the weirdest. This is the strangest house I've ever lived in. And just in terms of like everything that's gone on, not even like weird noises and stuff, but just, uh, this is my, this is my second house that I've had a mortgage on. It's the Fourth, diff- fifth different house I have spent time in with the family unit, and uh, it's just bizarre. It's been really, really bizarre. Speaking of bizarre, mm-hmm. how about this one? We, we, well, I like to talk about Eastern Kentucky, right? You like to talk about Eastern Kentucky going to FBS, and I like to talk about Eastern yep. Kentucky joining the SOCON. Mm-hmm. Um, Eastern Kentucky, according to WKYT, is uh, facing sanctions from a judge who expressed frustration about delays in getting information in a lawsuit uh, between EKU and the OVC. So um, short version to be just to keep it like super, super short and straightforward. uh, EKU kind of uh, skimped on its exit fee uh, when they left the OVC to join the ASUN. They still haven't paid the OVC the million dollars that they were supposed to pay them. And uh, the OVC took them to court over it. And the Richmond Register uh, reported the OVC presented evidence in January that top-ranking EKU officials used private email accounts to discuss leaving the conference. The judge said EKU appears to have taken steps to obstruct the production of relevant information in the case. Uh, The court will decide the amount of the sanctions when the case concludes. So Eastern Kentucky maybe having less fun when it comes to legal stuff. Oops. Hey, this is the group that you're wanting to get in the SOCON. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure that this is this is the one you're like, yeah, I'm fine with that. They are fine. They are up 
I don't care. You yeah. This is what you're dealing with. These are these are upstanding EKU people apparently. Well, then we can. I mean, if they if they try to leave the Southern Conference, then the SoCon could just take them to court for two million dollars instead of one million dollars. It's all right, and then pay all the legal fees to finally get it to what five years, six years down the road, whenever it's done, whenever it's done. Hey, man, the money's the money, right? Yeah, it is. Here come the money. How much money do you have to spend to collect the money? Spend money to make money. Scared money (laughs) don't make money. (laughs) Scared money don't make money. Uh, uh, Portal Watch. You want to uh, Portal well, Watch? Well, before we do Portal Watch, just, uh, I, just, I do want to say uh, Jake Lermo, offensive line coach, we are going to have oh, on the show. Yes. We went to um, practice. Uh, practice. We did go to football practice. We watched softball. We watched game one of the doubleheader. Little, we did, yeah. Little, no, you want to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, it's a little three-run jabby, yeah. So, first of all, I showed up in a fifth. <laughs> well, let me just backtrack. I showed up in a fifth, and – from what I knew, ETSU's rolling. There's two runners on. There's one out. And from there, they didn't score. And we go to the top of the sixth. And I sit down. The guy oh, looks like we're playing. And then I look at the scoreboard, and one hit. It was one. So I apparently mm-hmm. saw everything offensively prior to uh, the first four innings or whatever it was. And then top of the sixth, the two out, two run homer. Uh, yep. ball, ball State, right? Take the two, yep. two nothing lead. Then ETSU in the bottom of the sixth, able to get the first two runners on. Uh, a couple walks, then a kind of swinging bunt, right, advance the runners, and then mm-hmm. a pop-out, and then all of a sudden there's a one-two count, and they're fighting off pitches, fighting off pitches, and finally first career three-run shot across, what, left field line? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I yelled a lot. Was, that was – you did. You did. Right next to me, actually. Yeah. I'm not very proud of the, the high screech, but it was okay. I was excited. That's all right. Yeah, Faith Adams – um, oh, yeah, I probably should say who hit it, right? That would help. Yeah, Sorry. Her, uh, her first career home run. How about that? Good for Faith and uh, good good for that team to get a win. Um, just, yeah, no, I, I was that that's something that they've been missing all year has been the clutch hitting. And you look at the record, and the record's not very good. But um, at the same time, I mean, they've already won half as many games they won all last year. So, yeah. Um, I'm 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 very interested to see what they do this weekend in their first two games in Starkville against Omaha. Omaha has one really really good pitcher, and the rest of the team is kind of okay. Um, so I, I think those are those are games that they have a chance to win. Southeastern Louisiana is going to be tough. Mississippi State's going to be tough. Oklahoma is going to be at that tournament as well. Uh, ETSU will not play Oklahoma, but they're going to be at that tournament as well. And then it's the then they got a couple of five game homestands coming up. They'll play ten of their next fourteen at home once they get back from Starkville. That's an opportunity, I think, to piece together some wins. I, I do think it's a group that you know. Talking with Cheryl Milligan, she said, in terms of talent, we don't need a total revamp. This is this is not a group that that is uh, as as maybe as far away as its record might indicate. And I think you see that a lot in college athletics, especially at you know the mid major ranks. As you see teams that are maybe don't have great win loss numbers, but all it takes is one or two players in the right spots. And I think they have some good ones. I think Brianna Bailey is a pretty good pitcher. Um, I, I like the work that Cam Young puts in at third on the hot corner. I thought she was pretty good defensively yesterday, and. Getting any catchers healthy will be very, very important for ETSU down the road because, um, you know, you're going to need Kaylee Higgins' motor 
you're going to need her to get some kind of rest. So you need uh, Faith Adams to get healthy and stay healthy. You need Amber Atkins to be able to contribute. Like you're going to need some help at catcher over the course of the season um, just to reinforce a player that's working really hard for you but is taking on a physically very demanding position. And it's tough to do that. So, uh, yeah, overall, I think it's uh, it's a great group. They've been through a lot. And um, I I do enjoy going out and watching them. I can't wait until it's warmer and we don't have to layer up to go watch softball. I was a little soft yesterday because as soon as game one ended, I said, you know what, let's go to football practice. Yeah, you did. uh, You said, yeah, it's great. And then you were on the sideline while I was up in the booth. And uh, eventually, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you figured out I was up in the booth. And uh, it was was a lot easier to watch practice. Oh, I didn't like standing out there by myself. Mike DeRochers and uh, Chris, our facilities guy, all had stuff that they needed to go do. Uh, Chris was getting... Uh, what he was he was getting uh, word from uh, the the head football coach that uh, I think the the wind had been so fierce that it knocked the goalpost slightly askew. Yeah, they're working on it today. Yeah, they're they've been, I know they've been working on that. So, um, yeah, that's that's the wind. That's the that's probably the wind that we got. What last week that came through. Like overnight, it was real bad. Like during it was probably Friday during the well while you were in Asheville. Uh, I was coming back from Asheville, and I kind of experienced a little bit of that. But uh, that's probably what it was. Yeah, no, we went to uh, we went to practice. I mean, I, I enjoyed that day. I this is this is my jam. Like just being able to like kind of meander around and watch the different sports and watch what they do and the work they put in. Uh, I think it's great to experience all the behind the scenes stuff that that makes these teams what they are. <laughs> Speaking of behind-the-scenes stuff that makes a team what it is. Portal Watch. Portal Watch is kind of quiet today in the SoCon. It has not been as busy. Of course, remember yesterday we discussed DeAnthony Tipler, Charlie Weber, Messiah Jones of Wofford in the portal. Sean Conway is officially in for VMI. Uh, Lewis Tang, another guard for VMI, is in as a grad transfer. Oh, Louie. Yeah. Louis Tang, yeah. Yeah. He's in as a grad transfer as well. Uh, Chattanooga guard Jamal Walker is in the transfer portal as well, according to verbal commits. And Grant Ledford of Chattanooga is also in the portal. And remember, right now, all these guys that we're talking about are graduate transfers. Their season is ended. Uh, they are not restricted in the transfer portal entry windows the way that undergraduate players are. But that's the latest from the portal. Uh, there are already, uh, I think it's a lot of uh, junior college players are starting to get some offers um, that, are, that are starting to stack up. And that will turn into graduate transfers getting offers, I would imagine, in some point in the next, oh gosh, probably seven days. I would imagine the offers really start to to flow in about seven days once a lot of teams know that suddenly their season has come to an end. Uh, the list will only continue because every day there's two or three tournaments coming to an end. Yes, and exit meetings generally are a day or two after mm-hmm. your season's over. 
So if you give it a, you know, starting today, there'll be a trickle, I guess starting on Monday, I guess because there's some graduates. Like Grant Lanford, great example, Ledford, I should say, Chattanooga, like, didn't play the first couple years, really got some time last year. Um, Coaching change, though, didn't get hardly any time this year. Probably an easy conversation. If I got one more year to go, I probably need to go somewhere else. So, you know, for a graduate transfer, there's probably other players on that team, just because statistically speaking, on every team, that they're like, yep, we've had a conversation, and on Monday we'll put our name in. But starting next Monday, I think Mm -hmm. the Wild West will start to uh, really come out. That will be probably one of the heaviest days of names to go in on Monday. But then from there, I'm going to suspect a pretty good trickle of 30 to 50 guys a day for at least a solid week and a half or so. I would say so, yeah. About a 10-day period. I know that it's open Is that longer. really a trickle? I mean, like that's a – 30 to 50? Yeah, I mean – I would call that, that a flow well, okay, at that the point. Because the it's first, a steady flow. The first Monday, I mean, you're going to get 400. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be uh, – you know, a mass exodus on the Monday, the first. There's already people that have left mid-year that just haven't been able to officially go in. So you're probably going to have at least 80 guys that left mid-year that can finally technically put their name in. And then you're going to have everybody else that season's been done for a while that they've already had the conversation of, yeah, I'm leaving. It's just a matter of they couldn't actually do it. I mean, they may say it on Twitter, but they couldn't actually get in the portal until that day. So yeah, that's my guess is you'll get three or 400 flowing uh, or not flowing but jumping on monday and then the steady flow as uh, you want to say for the uh, you know 25 30 guys i think for the next like 10 days mm-hmm. and then it'll slowly add one or two as some of the big boy seasons uh in ncaa tournament teams in because there's guys that clearly are the 12th or 13th player on some of those rosters that don't want to leave in the middle of a tournament run but are more than willing to uh move on once it's over with so mm-hmm that all we got, Portal? We didn't have much today, right? Yeah, that's it. It's quiet. Say what? Yeah. We're, we're getting all of our bits out of the way here before we get to Jay Guillermo because that's we got we got to clear the floor for Jay. Uh, all right. Say what? Say what? Say what indeed, where I play clips and Jay says what he thinks. We don't need Jay to say what he thinks about the first clip, because he already does it. You're listening to exclusive coverage of ETSU Basketball. Seven. Oh my gosh, she made it. Oh my goodness. Full court punt, and she made it. Who cares about the game? Wow, oh, what a punt. 94 feet in a hole that's barely big enough for the golf ball. And she nailed the putt. Rhonda, that's all I got was her name. And she won a tailgating, what is that, a bonfire kit with chairs? How about that putt? That is Jay Sandos during the 2023 SoCon quarterfinals. Yeah, Rhonda. it was the most exciting thing I saw in the quarterfinal game ETH was involved in. I just, every time... There's like a six-syllable thing like that. I always do it to uh, like the melody of uh, Aqualung by Jethro Tull. So, Rhonda makes a big putt. Yeah, that's what she does. 94-footer. And she whacked it. That ball was moving. That was was not the traditional 
like a lot of times I'm concerned those putts aren't going to make it. Like people really don't know mm-hmm. how hard to hit the ball. And I think she just said, I don't know how to aim, but if I hit it really hard, maybe it'll just go this way. And that's what happened. <laughs> and it, it worked. Was, it was a, as we would call it on the golf course, that was a screamer. Like that was destined to either be in the hole or bounce over the hole, uh, run off the green, down the hill, 30 yards into a lake. Like that, that was, it was either going to be in <laughs> and you had a par or you're going to have a 12 because of where the ball was going to end up and to get back. But that was, uh, that was awesome. I, I mean, I've seen a few, we've had a few at ETSU, the half quarters go in. Yeah. We've not had the full quarter. So that was, uh, that was exciting and just having to be perfect time and that uh, we came back to uh, live action. Yeah, just go for it. Checkers or wreckers, baby. It, it either gets there or you don't win. Uh, all right. How about uh, how about next? We do something that was very very interesting, entertaining for me to watch on Sunday morning. Yes, 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 Nick. Well done. That's P three. Yes. What do you have done, guys? What do you have done? I'm so proud of you. It's amazing. That's for Jim's 60th birthday. Happy birthday! The 60s are the new 40s. That is 41-year-old Formula One driver Fernando Alonso after his 99th career podium and his first since returning to F1 in 2021 for Aston Martin on Sunday in Bahrain. I figured it was a racing thing. Yeah. Because, you know, I I follow racing. I know you do. And I know you (laughs) definitely follow international (laughs) racing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The 60s are the new 40s. How do you feel about that as a 40-something? Uh, well, I guess in uh, you know 15 years, I hope that's true. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I can Just say. Just stay in the 40s forever. Yeah, I, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I'm having a good time in my 40s. I'm not complaining. Yeah. You, know, you know, when you're young, you think, oh, my God, I'm going to be 30. Or, oh, my God, I'm going to be 40. I just, I'm... The only difference is, uh, what did I tell somebody? I said, you know, the body hurts slightly a little more every year. That's about it. Yeah. Do you uh, do you, do you need to use the facilities? Toilets, eleven hundred sixty toilets and urinals, three times the NBA average number of toilets and urinals. We do not want people waiting in line. We want them to get back to their damn seats. That is uh, that is Los Angeles Clippers Governor Steve Ballmer at yeah. uh, the construction site of the Intuit Dome in Inglewood, California, talking about toilets. Toilets. Yeah. Well, he, he loves him some toilets. Toilets. Nobody likes to wait in line for the bathroom, Keith. <laughs> Especially at a ball game. Uh, yes, that is the truth. That that is that is the truth. Um, what do you think? One thousand one hundred and sixty toilets and urinals. It's a lot. It sounds like a lot. That is. Um, well, what's the facility hold? Like twenty. Probably about eighteen five ish. Yeah, I was gonna say twenty, but if you go there, I mean. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, that's what. Uh, but in fairness, I don't know. I don't know what any like, of the ratio is. That's like five percent of. Well, you said it was more uh, toilets, more than, than twice the NBA average, three times the NBA average. Yeah, let's go. And that's like five percent of your seating capacity, maybe like seven percent of your seating capacity in the bathroom at the same. You time. know what I wish he would have yelled besides toilets? Troughs. Who doesn't like a trough? Well, after that, he uh, he yells with much less enthusiasm. Clocks. I was like, yeah, clocks. Okay. Clocks. He wants you to know what time it is. Toilets! Or how much time's in the game. Toilets! Uh, all right. What else, what else we got? 
Now, Coach, I have to ask you, what happened when both the coaches got the technicals and we had the stoppage? Yeah, I don't know. I think we were looking to share addresses or something, send out <laughs> Christmas cards. Charleston's a terrific team. This is a competitive game in a war. That is uh, Towson head coach Pat Scary talking about his uh, altercation with Charleston head coach Pat Kelsey. Well, and he is not from Charleston, for those of you who uh, He is definitely not from Charleston. He's probably, you could pass for Maryland, but... Uh, Yes, Pat Scary talking about the the technicals that he and Pat Kelsey accumulated in the CAA tournament. He's from Massachusetts, Pat Scary. Yeah, that, well, that was going to be my guess. I got family from Massachusetts, and if he had just broke out a coffee, a, war. a coffee or a car, then I would have known what he was talking about. But, uh, yeah, Pat, Pat, we've, we've had some run-ins with Pat when he was at uh, Winthrop. He's a, he's, a, he's a fiery guy. Pat Kelsey? Yeah. Pat Kelsey, yes. Yeah, who, Pat who, Pat Scary seems like a fun kind of guy. Yeah, I don't know I don't know Pat, but at least Pat was honest about uh, the players. You have to specify cuz they're both Pat. Yeah, that's fair. Cuz I don't know which Pat you're talking well, about. Well, either right Pat. Now. I think you know, they want to You could be talking addresses. about the SNL character Pat, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, approach it on good faith, Jay. Jay, Jay. Faith, Jay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Jay. Now you've got it. <laughs> anyway, uh, how about more st- And as the final seconds tick off the clock, the St. Peter's Cinderella story has a second act. And it's unfolding here in Atlantic City as the 10th seed knocks off Ryder. St. Peter's 70, Ryder 62, and they are through to Friday's semifinal. (laughs) That's my guy, Eddie Acapinti, on the call Uh on ESPN Plus in Atlantic City, which is like his second hometown these days. Uh, the pride of Central Jersey, the voice of the Monmouth Hawks, doing some stuff on TV for the MAC, and St. Peter's to the semifinals once again in the MAC conference tournament. Can they do it again, Jay? Can they do it? Just, just getting back to the dance would be a monumental right. achievement. Right. I don't think they can, but it would be. It'd be unbelievable. But I, when I first heard the call. I was trying to think where they are in the conference tournament because I was hearing that and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they're they're in the tournament. Because that call with the second, the call of it, and the buildup was not we're advancing to the semifinals. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. If he was trying to swerve me or you know, hey, look, oh, don't 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 you know, jiggling keys, look over here, look over here. Like I 1,000 percent was waiting for something other than, hey, we advanced out of the quarterfinals. Or they advanced out of the quarterfinals. Like that, what a great job of making me believe that that was going to end in a buzzer and a celebration, and you're cutting down the nets. They because, finished. They finished tenth out of eleven yeah. teams in that conference. Yeah, that's not a good year, from what uh, I've been told. I, it's got to be Iona out of the MAC. No, right? it. I mean. I yes, Iona is the odds-on favorite, yeah. and Iona is actually. One of the uh, early uh, sharp sharp guy sharps the sharps you know what they're called that uh, have predicted them to win a game in the tournament. So yeah. if you're already getting people thinking you're going to win a game in a tournament, I'd have to believe you are the yeah. pretty good. All right, only. yeah. You want okay. you want calls I that want calls. did not make you think that you were listening to a quarterfinal game. Yes, I do. Okay. This might this might be the this might be the one that takes the cake. Eight seconds on the clock. Steele Benters, the league MVP at the line, a second free throw. 
it spins out, no good. Rebounded by McLaughlin. Up court to Cone. Cone looking for help. Four seconds to go. Three seconds to go. Cone, he's grabbed. No call out to Fort. Three shot of the buzzer. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I can't believe it. It's good. We're going to the semifinals. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! I can't believe it! Oh my god! This is still going. We, we just won the game! Is this UNA? Who is this? NAU. We yeah. just won the game! Northern Arizona. We right? just UNA. won the We just won the game! So they're the eighth seed, right? We just beat Eastern Washington. Hey, by the way, they won. I don't know if you know this. I am literally speechless. It, um, so I actually knew it's a play. That's why I was, uh, I'd not heard that call. That is Mitch Stroman. Yeah. Uh, Northern Arizona's radio broadcast. Big fan. Yes. Um, with, uh, the call where he just ran out of, ran uh, out of where, words. Where he, in the business, as we would say, got naked on the call. Yes, Northern Arizona was the nine seed out of ten teams in the Big Sky Tournament. Yeah. And yeah. they beat the one seed at the buzzer, 81-80, in the first round. I just want to go back and listen to this part again, part because your reaction was great. We're going to the semifinals! <laughs> uh, let me say this. From now on, yes, I promise you, whenever ETSU advances out of the quarterfinals, there's going to be an epic call for no reason. I, I am going I to give it. I didn't, I didn't know. Didn't I didn't know this is close to that. Is this industry standard now? Because I, I didn't. I didn't get anywhere close to that with women's basketball. Well, year. now in fairness, I guess you know the three seed ETSU's in the four five. I guess if the Bucks were the Eight or nine seed, seven seed, and one. And you couple. expected like, like, them to just like we're going to go get rolled. I mean, Jim Reynolds, who called the miraculous David Jean Baptiste buzzer beater last year and gave yes. it a due justice. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine when they finished beating Samford in the seven-two game, him losing his. Now, it's it wasn't, all about it, your expectations. Now it also it's about your expectations. At least that one I'll give it was a buzzer beater. You get kind of hung up on the moment. Because it's a buzzer beater. But, yes, I'm very confused that the industry has now gone with, we just lose our gorge over everything. I mean, maybe people make fun of me and go, this guy lost his mind over a 94-foot putt from some random girl. I don't know. Maybe I'm the problem. I don't. We're going to the semifinals! Yeah, that's, uh, boy, that's That is the sound special. of someone who expected not to even be there. That is the that is the sound of someone who thought we're gonna lose to Idaho and that's gonna be it, and then we're, like and and to just be taken on a completely divergent course from everything mm-hmm. you expected and what a run it mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. for Northern Arizona, that was that was fun, that was a fun that, run. It was a fun run uh, that they came up just short against Montana State, eighty five. That was Mitch, right? Our, our good buddy Mitch. Mitch Stroman, That yes. we don't know, but Mitch. Uh, what it sounded like to me was he was excited against another day's uh, per diem. That's what it sounded like to me. Were they – I don't know that they were in – were they in Reno for the whole tournament or just the like the quarterfinal, semifinals type? Ooh, he, even better because then he gets, uh, he gets a flight day in between and somewhere else. That's more per diem. I, that's what it sounded like to me. You and your per that diem. That guy is thinking 30 more dollars. Here we go. 
I would imagine he gets more per diem than that. Maybe. I don't know. I, don't know. I, don't I, know feel, like, I feel like if you have to pay for all those flights, you've got a little bit more money for meals. Plus, Reno, $30 gets you what? Like a ham sandwich? <sighs> Not a lot. I mean, yeah. even if you went to Whataburger, it probably wouldn't. Why did you say it like that? You don't you don't say Whataburger? I don't say Whataburger. Oh, no. okay. What, Waterbugger? Yeah. Have you never heard of it? What a bugger. Like a water. Is it because they make their burger burgers out of water bugs? I don't. What are you talking no, I've only, about? I've right only now? eaten at a one. Uh, eaten at one. At a one. Yeah, they're at fine. No, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, I, a, it's a large I, burger. It's a, I, it's I enjoyed my burger. one experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. Okay. It was all right. Um, I think a lot of those burger places kind of get overhyped, to be honest. But um, yeah, that's say what. That's no. it for say what? That's 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 all I've got. Okay. That's all I've got. So now we are moving on to the semifinals of the show. Our penultimate <laughs> segment is ETSU football offensive line coach Jake Guillermo. We use this one a lot. I like this that? one. Do but you? I like this one. Is that what? Is that why we use it so much? Yeah. Well, we don't have the country bump yet that people have been asking for. I, so I think. Yeah. There. There. We're, we're down. We're down to like two bumps. Maybe three bumps. I don't know. Do we have the uh, pirate Let's one? Do, who was it? Who was it? Um, yeah, no, that's, no, that's not it. I don't know what you. Uh, J- Jamie Collier wasn't it? Asked for the. He's yes. the one that asked for the country bumper first. First, yes. Then Luke Slusher did, and then yep. I think we had another one. Uh, did Zach ask for it? Borsh? I don't remember. You remember more than I do. Anyway, so Jay and Keith on the Jay and Keith podcast. That's pretty self-explanatory. But there's another Jay that we're going to have. We're going to talk football. You know what we like to talk about? Football. And more yeah, football. absolutely football. The other thing I like to talk about, big uglies. And you can't do that without talking offensive line. So, Jay Guillermo, the new offensive line coach here at ETSU. And, Jay, thanks for taking the time. And I always like to start uh, kind of from the beginning. Talk about, uh, you know, your – playing days in high school and specifically you know going from North Carolina to the state of Tennessee at Maryville where you played for Coach Corals. Yeah no I appreciate y'all having me on uh, but yeah just from the start so uh, my grandfather was a high school coach at Burns High School in North Carolina Lawndale North Carolina was there uh, for 27 years and uh, so I grew up around ball um, there in Lawndale and grew up on the sidelines and um, so then started my playing days there at uh, Burns High School started my uh, sophomore year on varsity and then uh, after that my stepfather got a job in Maryville and so from there you know I didn't really want to leave had all my friends there in Lawndale and uh, went over and my parents said look let's just go over we're gonna move stuff into the house and and you can just go look at the school and um, you know because it's a big I mean culture shock for me right I'm thinking I'm going from a 3A school in North Carolina to a 6A Tennessee high school and um, walked over there, and I remember walking, just looking at the field and seeing the first time all the state championship, you know, plaques that they had and everything. And I said, all right, this might be a place that I want to be. So got over there with Coach Corals, um, started for him there my junior and senior year, and then um, was recruited from there by Dan Brooks to go uh, to go to Clemson and uh, started my college journey from there. And, you know, Coach Corals means a lot to me because he was so good to me in that transition from – you know, I'm later on in high school, uh, was leaving all my friends, going, like I said, from, I mean, my my 
my neighbors were cows in Longdale, right? And so I'm going into, in my mind, a big place, big city. It was a hard transition for me, but he was so good to me. And David Ellis, my offensive line coach, was so good to me that I knew I wanted to be back with him at some point in time coaching for him, and uh, I'm glad I'm here now. So you can just spell the rumor that, that Coach uh, knew how good you were and then got your stepdad a job. Is that No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, – because Coach Corals, and, and we've talked to him and know what he's ba- uh, about, and you hear a lot about Dabo Sweeney. They probably got a lot of similarities, I'm guessing. Just talk about, you know, going to Clemson, you know, as a freshman and then obviously getting to where team captain, starter, mm-hmm. champ- national championship winner. T- talk about that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think the big thing for me it was – the expectation was to win with Coach Corals, right? And that was an easy transition to Clemson just from that was the expectation. And who they are as people, they're very similar people, right? Their beliefs of, of how to run a program for one, but two, who they are outside of football. You know, that's something that I really uh, appreciated about Coach uh, Sweeney and appreciate about Coach Corals. So just from, you know, the, the standard, you know, that's a word that's thrown around a lot in football, but the standard of how we're going to perform every week and who you're going to be day to day, not just, you know, you don't just strap on the pads, put on your helmet and go play. It's, hey, we're going to practice to a standard. We're going to walk around the halls to a standard, you know, and it's who you are all the time is who you become all the time. And so that being preached from Coach Corals going into Clemson made it an easy transition. And then just the expectation of excellence every day is something that, I was already living there at Maryville because that's what Coach Corals preached to us. And so getting there to Clemson, it became easier just through that because I early enrolled there and 17 and four months old, I was already young for my for my uh, grade. And then I go early and um, against Coach Corals' advice, but I did it anyways because I'm smarter than him at 17 years old, obviously, <laughs> you know, and so um, get there. But it was, you know, it was an easy transition just from that because that had already been the expectation put upon us in high school with Coach Corals. What was it like playing and then winning – you know, a national championship. Just, you know, you're there, you're Alabama, and it, Deshaun Watson writes the quarterback is the Hunter Renfro play. Yep. Was that not it? Yep. Well, first of all, I asked this to Brian Stork because he won uh, very unique. In 13 months, he won a BCS championship mm-hmm. at Florida State. And then, so that's Jameis Winston. Then he snapped for Tom Brady yeah. and against Seattle, won a Super Bowl in a 13-month period. Pretty impressive. But ask him what the last play call was for the touchdown. Do you remember the last play call? Yeah, so it was sprint out to the right. We called it Orange Crush is what it was called. That was uh, just a little rub route that we had. People want to call it a pick route, but it's a football play. But um, There was no know, flag. That's no, what I go Exactly, with. exactly. It's just like holding. If they don't call a flag, it's, yeah. it's not illegal. So, <laughs> But, no, yeah, we you know drive down the field, got a minute some left after return, and um, – you know, shoot, I think unofficially we had run like 103 plays or something like that, you know, because they take off plays for penalties and all that throughout the game. And so officially it was like 96, 97 plays, and we knew they were dog-tired and we were a tempo team. And, you know, we were kind of like – our offensive line was kind of like the, the Rocky Balboas. You know, it's like you may get us in the first half, right? There may be some bad plays, but we're going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, and that's kind of how we were. And then brought it down to score at the end and – funny story I knew that it was close to the end but we go and score and in my mind I thought there was about 10 seconds left and so everybody's celebrating you know there's only a second left 
really. But I thought there was about ten, and everybody celebrating. And uh, Jalen Hurts just taking the ball down the field and scored. And I was like, we've got to stop him. What is everybody celebrating for? And then finally I get over, and Thomas Austin, who was a graduate assistant there, that I ended up working for at Georgia State and is now the offensive line coach at Clemson, he hugs me, and I'm like, why is everybody celebrating? we got to stop him again. And he was like, look at the scoreboard, you know. And, <laughs> and I look up, and I was like, oh, my God, we just won, you know. So that was pretty special, you know, especially to do that the year before we go and we lose. And honestly, the year before, we were we knew we were going to be good. But it was – I think we were better than what we expected. And we go and uh, get to the national championship game uh, undefeated and end up losing um, in Arizona to Alabama. So then kind of that – uh, you know, being able to go back and win it again and uh, played our bowl game the next year in 2016 in Arizona. So that was kind of like, all right, we're back in this stadium. We go uh, beat Ohio State pretty handedly. And then uh, from that to have a chance to go kind of resurrect ourselves against Alabama and win it in the fashion that we did with the guys that we did of, um, you know, because there's so much hard work that people don't see put into it and so much belief that gets put into it. And there was a rocky start to the season. You know, then we go and we lose to Pitt on senior day. That was awful. And then we come back. We go and, I mean, win the state with South Carolina and just beat the tar out of them and then uh, finish the year out the way that we did and uh, win the ACC championship. It was That made it a little bit more special, just kind of knowing the full picture of what all we had been through as a team and how everybody stuck together and there was no fraying and, and, and went and did, got it done. We all see Dabo on television at press conferences, on the sideline, all that stuff. We see, you know, is is we hear the way that he talks, the way he messages the program. What's something that only people who have played for a Dabo Sweeney-led program know about Dabo? Uh, everything that you hear on television, he probably told the team about a month ago, and it's just as cheesy whenever he tells us as whenever he says it in the media. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, all of his things that's, you know, the cliche coaches talk, like, he makes you believe it. And because you go through it and you work it, and he's like, all right, this is how it's going to be, this and this and this and this and this. And you go and do it because that's what, to us, it was hard work was just what you do. Like, that wasn't weird to us. You know, I got out afterwards and would talk to other guys about how their practices were structured or this or that. I was like, oh, my God, we're working way harder than everybody else. You know, but that's just what we did. But with him, you know, his his old cheesy sayings, he's got an acronym for every single thing. You know, I mean, it's anything good, anything bad, he's got an acronym for. But, um, you know, man, he, he's, he's a guy that what you see – uh, in the media, you know, because some people, I guess, probably think that he is too good to be true. He can't be that good of a person. He is a better human being. You know, whenever the door's closed and you're meeting one-on-one with him, he's a better human being then than even what he displays on, you know, to the media. And I think he seems like a pretty good guy through the media. So that's what you appreciate with Coach Sweeney is, is the kind of human being that he is and how much he cares about his players um, whenever the door's shut whenever we're not out on the field, whenever we're not at practice, um, just how he cares about you. So then from there, you want to go play hard for that guy and uh, you want to go run through a wall for him. And um, that's the main thing with him is that, you know, you don't always see that. You see everything from the media and, you know, then he gets blasted for, you know, tearing into a kid or whatever and on the sidelines and he's passionate about it, but you know that. And he's very upfront and honest with that. And so you take it because you say, okay, I know this guy cares about me and I know that this guy wants what's best for me in the long run outside of football, you know, that aside. So 
he's doing this to make me better. And he's pressing me and he's stressing me during practice for a reason. So then you go out on Saturdays and it's easy. And I feel like when you see a coach rip somebody, a lot of times Mm – they've already put in the groundwork and built the relationship and the trust to where you're able to do that and the player understands where it's coming from. How important is it for you as a, as an offensive line coach early on to establish that relationship and that rapport with your guys so that you do have the ability to hold them accountable when they make a mistake in a game? Yeah, I mean, that is, you know, this whole thing, especially in college football and, you know, where it's going today just – with different legislations that's gone through, I still believe it's a relationship-based deal, right? It's not a transactional deal. You get enough of that in the NFL, right? They cut an offensive lineman because they need another DB, right? And it's very – it's not personal. It's all transactional. But in college football, it's all relationship-based. And it starts during the recruiting process with – you know, you filling the kids out and, you know, how do they like to be coached and the relationship that you build there. And then that transitions over to whenever they get here, right? Because especially nowadays, everybody wants to talk about in the coaching world retention, right? How do you keep guys on campus with the portal, this and that? Well, that doesn't start when they get here. That starts before, absolutely, right? And then from there, whenever they get here, you know, I think it's super important because you get occasional meals where you can bring them over to your house and stuff like that. It's. I think it's extremely important to have them around your family because, to me, they're part of my family. I'm here, whether it's in meetings, whether it's, you know, watching them do whatever, just around the guys more than I really am, my wife and, and my daughter. And they're a part of my family. And if you don't truly believe that and if they don't truly feel the same way about you, then you can't coach them hard. You can't. And because – they have to know that you care about them so much and you want the best for them. And so that's extremely important from the time you step on campus is being open and honest with them, right? And honesty from that builds trust. Well, whenever they trust in you and believe in you, now you can go coach them hard. And um, especially offensive line play, right? It's the hardest position in football because you've got five different guys that are working as one that, you know, whenever we go on, we go out to practice and we put on shells. All the little skill guys are all happy because they don't have to wear knee pads, and I guess it makes them run faster. Well, we're still banging up front like it's just normal, right? It's it's a normal day for us. So you work harder than everyone else. And, you know, a defensive lineman's alignment by six inches may change your entire structure of what you're trying to do blocking-wise. So mentally, it's extremely taxing, right? And you've got to make split decisions. And so if I'm not stressing them in practice – then whenever they get to Saturdays, it becomes really hard. But you build that relationship to where you can stress them as much as physically possible Monday through Friday. Saturdays are easy. But it all starts with, like you said, the relationship of whenever a new coach comes in. Because I didn't – you know, I'm here new, been here a month. Like, I didn't recruit these guys. But they're mine, and I care about them, and I want to see them do well. And they work hard as crap, and I love them to death. And they've already been over to my house – Shoot, they helped me move in on Sunday. You know, I mean, but I think them and building that relationship and that trust from, you know, you've got coach-to-coach trust, right, that's obviously extremely important. You've got coach-to-player trust that I've got to be able to trust them to go do their job. And then you've got player-to-coach trust where they've got to trust in myself and the rest of the coaching staff that we're going to go do our job and everything we're doing is for a purpose. And we're not just out there running drills because I saw it on Twitter and it looks cool. You know, that we're, we've got the best in mind for them. And so then that, they'll go play hard for us. So 
every offensive lineman is to some degree self-made, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about your mindset. I'm ready to, I'm, I come to work ready to eat, ready to lift, ready to transform my body into a human refrigerator so that I can yeah. move people off the line. Um, how do you get people to buy into that mindset so that they can be, they can unlock the potential that they have? Because at some point you had to do the same thing for yourself to, to buy into that own mindset of, I'm going to transform myself into this offensive lineman. Yeah, and I think it's trying to get guys to buy into the fact that they, they're going to be the best version of themselves, right? Um, you walk in here, and, you know, whether it's a guy that's 5'9", uh, 275 pounds, which I don't think we have any of those up front, but, you know, you've got a smaller guy to a bigger guy. It's how can you make yourself the best version of you so that whenever we put the best five out there, we've got the best chance to go win. Right, and it's something that I, you know, I've really preached to these guys is is being, you know, just uh, hard every day, right? And so everybody wants to talk about, oh, I'm this and I'm that, I'm a, I'm a big strong guy. It's like, all right, well, you are that all the time. And so whenever you walk into the weight room, it's a competition between you and the weights. It's what it is, right? So and then that breeds competition between you and someone else, and then it's breeding that competition amongst a room to where. You know, even the guy that may have the least amount of talent in our room is pressing everyone else so much that a starter looks at it and goes, well, man, I can't let this guy be better than me. So then I've got to work harder. And it's creating that culture within a room, you know, within what Coach Quarles wants in his entire uh, his entire program to then they compete with each other. And everything's a competition. And then from there, it's knowing, like Coach Coral said it the other day to our guys, you know, you see these guys going out to the combine. And I've seen it, you know, firsthand of where guys, they go through college and they work hard, right? But it's what we do here is the minimum. And there are times where you've got to go out by yourself or get the group of guys and go out and take your steps on a Saturday morning, you know, go through things, you know, get some extra recovery or whatever it is. And... So from that right there, it's, it, you know, you're building your program, you're building camaraderie and all that, but it's like, okay, this is a minimum. All right, why would you, whenever I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm going to go to the combine, why would you then say, okay, I got to start eating right. I got to start recovering. I got to start lifting hard. I got to get in condition. That don't make no sense. Because well, too late to do that now. It, yeah. Right, exactly. Why would you not do that now? Mm-hmm. And it's that mindset of, you know, the time is now to make yourself the best version of yourself. And really just it's a, it's preaching to that every day. It's not something that I can say one time and then those guys go, all right, I've got it. No, it's preaching to every day and then me doing it, right? Like whenever I walk out onto the field for practice, if I'm just standing back there being fat, blowing a whistle and hollering at them, right, that doesn't do anything. Those guys are like, okay, well, cool, he's hollering at us again. No, I'm going to bring intensity every day and I'm going to lead by example, right, because – we tell our kids all the time, you can't expect more out of someone else and you're willing to give. Well, I can't expect more out of the kids and I'm willing to give, you know. And so it's everybody being in line with that and us going out as a whole because we are a group, myself included, and going and trying to be the best version of ourselves every day and working towards that, knowing our deficiencies and knowing what we need to work on, knowing what I need to work on as a coach, and then going from that and practicing it every day. You know, we have practice for the kids and they work techniques and schemes and all that. Well, shoot, I practice coaching every day because it's important. Because, like I said, I can't expect more out of them than I'm willing to give. So how did you get to that point as a player? Like, was it something that you bought in? The mindset was something you brought to the position like, hey, this seems fun, you know, this kind of hard work, I'm really going to enjoy this, let's play offensive line? Or were you just 
big kid in a small town. We're going to throw you in the O-line and let you figure it out. I started playing football in the second grade. And uh, Coach Ruff was my first uh, coach whenever I was in Little League football. And he said, Jay, you're going to get to throw the football every play. And I am so excited because I'm like, yes, I'm going to be a quarterback. And he said, put the ball on the ground, now throw it between your legs. So I, I grew up as an offensive lineman. I was a center. I uh, That's just who I was. And so, you know, being around football, um, and that that's one thing that my grandfather preached was just hard work. And, um, you know, it's something that he taught people through was through hard work and, um, you know, how to be – how to fight through adversity, how to do things whenever you're tired, right? And that goes through – and my beliefs, and I'm going to go on a little rant here, but, you know, that goes outside of football, right? Whenever I come home and we've been here working and I've been getting after the guys and I've, you know, exercised and all this and we watched a bunch of tape, well, whenever I go home I'm tired, but – you know, it it means that much for my daughter, for my wife, for me to go be a good husband and a good father, right? All of these things go through in life, and, and they go hand in hand. And so, you know, I think through that, it's something that I learned at a young age is, you know, nothing worth having is, you know, comes free, right? You got to work hard for it. And so from that, it's just that mindset of offensive linemen of we're going to work hard for it. And it's not you know, confusing activity with accomplishment. It's going out and saying, okay, well, we went through a bunch of drills. We worked hard. We're going to get better. No, it's doing everything with a purpose and having a purpose behind everything. And um, I, it just came naturally to me because that's that's what I saw every day with my grandfather, with his guys, what he preached, and then going to Coach Corals. That's just how it was. And like I said, just going to Clemson. Like like I said, it, it just it's just what you do. It's just how you do it. And so – I don't think it was something that I really had to think about, you know, but it just came naturally. And, and you know, I guess I was a born and bred offensive lineman because I was. I grew up and I was just bigger than everybody else. And then, you know, once I got to college, I saw that I wasn't bigger than everybody else. And I was like, all right, now I got to work even harder. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of my mindset behind it and, and how it's been for me. Well, let's talk uh, about – because you've had an interesting coaching journey and it, it sounds mm -hmm. like you kind of knew what you were going to do for a living if I was going to guess. Oh, yeah. But – You've been at the FCS, in the SOCON specifically, mm -hmm. Western Carolina. Then you've been at the FBS with Georgia State. Then you've been at a Power 5 at Virginia. Yep. So you've been at all three levels. What have you learned on that side of the fence as the coaching side at all three levels? I think the biggest thing is is not sitting here in an office and complaining about what you don't have. It's taking what you have and how can I make them the best at what they can be and how do we schematically as coaches – put them in the best position as possible that's the biggest thing I've learned you know and um, you know I go to Georgia State and um, you know being able to be mentored by Sean Elliott that's you know was a great offensive line coach at Appalachian State won all the national championships and goes to South Carolina with Steve Spurrier and kills it and you know I really from him um, you know and he may hear this but you know I never would have told him this but you know I kind of learned how to coach from him and how to be intense but how to love the guys, right? Because he's one of the most intense human beings I've ever been around. And, you know, so from that, it's how to do that, okay? And that was his thing was how do we get these guys in the best position as possible? Well, then you go to Western Carolina, and it's the same thing. I'm the tight ends coach. Okay, well, uh, we're, we're not helping anybody by asking these guys to do something that they just may not be able to physically able to do. Now, I'm going to coach my tail off to get them to try and do it, but then as you go through spring ball and you go through summer, you're going, okay, well, this is something that we're just – we're just banging our head up against the wall if we're trying to do this, right? So how do we 
formate things and this and that to get guys in the best position as possible. And then, you know, even going to, you know, as a Carson Newman for a year, and that was a big thing is, you know, they've been a split-veer team. And um, there's offensive line coach, you know, they, they had kind of recruited before I got there to run the split-veer. Well, now we want to get more into gun option stuff. Okay, well, now we're not so much veer principles. We're going to get into zone option principles. And, all right, well, how do we formate things? How do we uh, teach these things in a way that we can best go and they can play and play fast? And so I think that's the biggest thing. That's any coach, you know, is just trying to figure out how you can do with what you have, how can you do it to the best of your ability, and what can we do with what we have. And, um, you know, you see that at all levels. And, I mean, you see that at UVA. It's like, okay. This is what we have as an offense. This is where we're better. This is where we're not as good. Okay, how do we protect the ones that may not be as talented right now? And how do we continue to develop to get them there instead of just sitting around and complaining and saying, well, we can't do this and this and this. No, that, that doesn't help anyone. So it's how do we continue to develop and what we want, but right now, how do we go win football games? And um, that's something I've been extremely appreciative of is um, being around – you know, Des Kitchens um, there at UVA is a really, really smart guy, a great football coach, and that's that's his whole thing is how can we do within our scheme and within our system, what can we do and how can we do it in order to make these guys successful. And then with, with Tony Elliott, um, you know, he was my OC at Clemson, and that's his big thing is, is how do we take what we have and make them go be successful. So that's that's the biggest thing I think I've learned from all different levels is is just finding the guys, you know, and finding out what they can do and then going and doing it to the best of, of their ability. I feel like we could talk for another hour. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have, if, 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 I mean, if you ever want to do, like, radio hits or something, I've got some shows on The Monster every now and then. Yeah, I'd love to have I'm you down. on. Let's that's, go. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is great. Um, I will, I'll ask you this. Um, We've talked about the relationship angle of football and college football in particular. How does being a father change the way that you approach your relationships with younger players? Um, or does it? I think to me, because I was around it so much mm-hmm. um, with you know my grandfather that was you know kind of like my dad, you know, it didn't change a whole lot for me um, just because I had already, had great examples through my grandfather, through Coach Corals, and through Coach Sweeney of this is how you're supposed to treat people, one, and um, this is how you're supposed to treat players. And, and you know, if it truly is, because that is a word that every school in the country is going to talk about, oh, this is family. Well, some just like to say it, and some actually mean it, yeah. you know. And I'm a lot of times a very literal person, and so somebody says, well, it's supposed to be family well that's what it's going to be you know and that's who I'm going to be as a coach is like I said they're going to be they're part of my family and so you know I'm I'm going to push them and press them but it's not going to be out there just you know screaming obscenities at them every time just because I can because I say I'm a coach and I'm higher than you now we're all at the same level and so to me being a father it, it it didn't change much because I feel like I already had great examples in my life to show me how a coach is really supposed to be, you know, because as a coach, I mean, I was a coach before I was a father. As a coach, you're really like a father to them, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, so absolutely. to that, it was already like I got a bunch of kids, you know, and, um, you know, the kids at Georgia State. Um, I mean, we got one with us now. Uh, Aubrey Payne's going to be um, – he's uh, going to be with us as our quality control coach. I mean, looked at him like he was my son, and now we aren't 
real wide age gap here, right? I was young whenever I met him, but and he played football at Georgia State, what seemed like for forever. But you know that that's um, something that I felt like it was already. I'm trying to be a father figure to these people, even though I may be young. You know, I'm still a little older than them and have a little bit more experience than them in life. And how do I help these guys not only on the football field but off of it too? And so um, it didn't change it as much as you would think um but i mean you know uh i guess to each their own so what what's something you want to experience living in the tri-cities you've obviously been in northeast tennessee before you've been you know and it's really great places to Mm -hmm. live charlottesville atlanta um on and on and on what's something that you want to experience about life in the tri-cities man i don't know i uh I mean, there's just so much. See, I'm a big outdoors guy. Oh, so yeah. Having You're like, in the right place. Oh, my God. Having Roan Mountain right there, it's just yep. like right by our house, is huge for me. Um, you know, my wife always jokes on me and picks on me because we were in Cullowee um, during COVID. And so our house was 10 minutes away from the Blue Ridge. And it's funny because, too, in Charlottesville, we were about 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from one part of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. And then over there in Cullowee, we were about 30 minutes from the other point of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And she's like, shoot, honey, you can't, you can't get away from it, you know, because <laughs> I'd take my motorcycle out and I'd go right up and down it, go hiking. So having all that here, I mean, that's just what I want to explore a little bit more and, you know, all the outdoors activities. And already, I mean, going out to eat dinner and everything, and um, you can see that, man, this is a town that's just booming, you know. Yeah. I mean, you – you would think – I remember calling my wife. Um, a couple of us went out to Wild Wings one night. And, uh, you know, we were eating dinner there. And, uh, you know, I was telling you, it was karaoke night. And uh, you, you don't get don't get me started now. I'll get some karaoke now. What's your go-to? Georgia karaoke. Satellites. Got a little change in my pocket. Oh, 100% yeah, of the go. time, I, would, I will sing that. So, uh, <laughs> that's my go-to. Got it from my father-in-law. Shout out to Sam Bell. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, um, man, it's just, you know – being around the town, and you can see, I mean, like I said, it's booming, and this is a great town, and uh, everybody talks about Johnson City, but it's uh, it's a good town, and so just kind of exploring a little bit more and things to do around, and um, you know, bringing my wife and my daughter out, and us just hanging around, hang around the town. I kind of feel like we could, uh, you know, just kick Keith out and just go to the J and J show. I yeah. think that would be good. Hey, let's go. Or you kick me out and you still got J and Keith, it's just a different. <laughs> yeah, day. right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we could we could do like uh, special like Freaky Friday editions where it's. We swap out Jay Sandoz for Jake Guillermo and just talk ball for an hour. I'm down. Let's do it. Anytime I can talk ball, I'm down. Yeah, man. Do we have any brick walls I can go run through? This (laughs) this has been awesome. Yeah, it's easy to see how you were successful as a player and how you've kind of climbed the coaching ladder just with that. And um, I think, you know, you're going to enjoy the time here. I think the fan base is – you'll walk out there. And you've been in Cullowee. And, you know, Cullowee, for all that it's taken hits for on – not supporting a lot of athletic programs on a Saturday at 3.30. You know, there's nine or 10,000 people. It'll be the same over here at ETSU, nine or 10,000. And you've been at all levels, right? You've seen all different sides of, of uh, that. But being back in, in this area, being with Coach Corals, we're lucky to have you. Excited that you spent this time with us. I wish we had more. Maybe we'll, towards the end of spring practice, we'll get you back over here chatting a little more. Absolutely. So I appreciate you all having me and, uh, you know, just looking to get after it and go Bucks. Woo! Wow. I'm ready. I'm ready. Put yeah. me in, coach. Seriously, is there a brick wall I can go run through? I mean, we were out we were out there after practice and he was probably up like 20% from what he was in the interview. Like that that level of intensity is just like, holy cow, this guy this this guy could coach an offensive line.
He's got the energy. He's got the intensity. Uh, I, I, I hope the players like him as much as we do because that was really fun. Yeah, I, one of the more fun interviews I think we've done. And uh, I don't know that line coaches have ever got me that fired up, but I was I was ready to go. Yeah. So line I can't a good line coach will get you fired up. That's the thing. Uh, that's true. Uh, you got right. to. Got to be. Go uh, get the juice to go smash people in the face. Let's go. So Monday, I guess uh, we'll have a show. Yes, a Jay and Keith show mm-hmm. on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Semifinals! Oh, you gotta be kidding me!